0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's May 10th, 1888, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie. The
1: Retrospectors!
0: Reading about wrestling is probably not as exciting as watching it live. But it must have felt pretty dramatic nonetheless today in history in 1888 when the Sporting Life published a report on the first ever wrestling championship of the world which concluded with the sentence Wannup was nearly killed. Perhaps less of a surprise when you know that English champion Jack Wannup's opponent in the ring was American Evan Lewis, nicknamed the Strangler.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so Jack Wanup was reputed to be the best wrestler in England, though this was a pretty easy claim to make at the time because they didn't have the kind of systematised uh, sporting hierarchy that we have today. And pretty much the idea that he was the best in England came about very much because he went around saying it a lot to people. Uh, there was a Isn't that still the case in I wrestling? suppose that's true, yeah. <laughs> but um, there was a piece in uh, The Sporting Life prefiguring this match where he had told the publication, as no one will take me on here, I'm determined to make some of those Yankees see snakes. And so he went about trying to set up this match with the very best that the US had to offer.
2: Yeah, I mean, Evan Lewis, the strangler, credited with inventing the stranglehold, I mean, probably not the first person to do it, but as a wrestling (laughs) move, (laughs) hence his nickname. And yeah, as you mentioned it, at that time, you basically could claim to be the American champion or the English champion. And unless someone could catch up to you and wrestle you to the ground, you could pretty much hold on to that title. Mm -hmm. But Lewis is recognized as the first holder of uh, the official title of American Heavyweight Wrestling Champion. So there were two earlier wrestlers, Joe Acton and Edwin Bibby, who had previously been branded American champions, but only for either, you know, Greco-Roman, sort of traditional, mainstream, respectable wrestling, or catch wrestling, which sort of had its roots more in sideshows, but it was Lewis who defeated the, a guy called Ernest Rober in 1893 in a match which alternated between rounds of Greco-Roman and catch styles, so he, by winning that match, created this new unified title of American champion, and to be clear as well, I think probably just said up front, this is what you call, you know, real wrestling, what we now call professional wrestling, like WWE, would evolve later in the early 20th century but it actually came from this tradition of real wrestling mm. but it was it had become so fixed that punters eventually came to expect it to be fixed and from that they then just started to fictionalize the whole thing
0: mm-hmm. yeah well the interest of punters i think is crucial in the development of lewis's kind of in-ring personality right because He was seen as a dirty fighter who ignored the rules. The match that made his name was in 1886 when he fought a Japanese wrestler called Matsuda Sorokichi. And according to eyewitnesses anyway, eight or nine of whom passed out, snapped his leg over his like a branch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he did actually break his leg. I think he did bust his ankle, though. But nonetheless, it established him to an audience of braying, betting masochists as someone who you could go to and they, he would guarantee you something exciting. And then he came to be known for his signature move, The Strangle, which is a bit like a rear naked choke from Mixed Martial Arts.
1: It does make me wonder whether one was a bit worried about what he was going to encounter in this match, particularly because this guy had this reputation for this particular move. And according to the reports that it's possible to find of this match, uh, it did seem that even from the beginning, it looked like it was going to be a fairly one-sided affair, and partly because Wanup was quite nervous at the beginning. And in the first round, both men did actually go down with Wanup on top which might make you think that he sort of had the advantage, but Lewis very quickly managed to get up from that clinch. And then the rest of the round unfolds in a fairly level way. But I think even to spectators, it was quite obvious that Wanup was the lesser fighter of the two.
2: Yeah, I mean, One Up was really famous in the UK and particularly famous in London. He was from Cumbria originally, but he would settled in New Cross in southeast London. He was extremely famous there. In 1887, he was one of the fighters selected to give a private exhibition for the Prince of Wales. This had to be held kind of semi-secretly because the legality of bare-knuckle boxing and prize fighting was very much up in the air at the time. He was there with the first ever boxing superstar, the American John L. Sullivan. So he was a well-known name. But he was kind of out of his depth here. He was five years older than Lewis. He was 33 Mm. at the time of the match.
0: But pretending to be 29 (laughs) in the press. Of
2: course. I mean, that never goes out of fashion. You know, he was 20 pounds heavier. The Galena Gazette called him a perfect picture of a typical English bulldog, which I think is a way of politely saying that he was maybe a little bit out of shape. Mm. You know, even his appearance in the ring when he fought Lewis, he appeared in traditional white tights underneath his dark velvet trunks. Lewis was just wearing the trunks. And after this first round, he sort of, won up, sort of went away and took off the tights and came back in the trunks. So almost hearkening back to a more amateur tradition, you know, by day he was a carpenter. Lewis was a full-time professional wrestler who toured America, wrestling anyone who would take him on. He'd fought wrestlers from around the world. Whereas Wannup, you know, he was a carpenter. He wrestled and boxed in pubs, basically the same pubs where he would be hanging out. Yeah, he he had his bulldog with him all the time, you know. He was just a guy who was good at fighting. He was famous in his home turf, but he was yeah, a little bit out of his element here in America in this big venue in Chicago.
0: He came out of that tradition of Irish and Scottish and as you said Cumbrian, Cornish, Lancastrian men settling in London and bringing their wrestling traditions to the city. So you get this weird kind of hybrid style of wrestling where no one's entirely sure what the rules are. Mm. And so then putting him up against this guy for whom the mayor of Chicago personally asked for the ban on rear naked chokes to be enforced (laughs) because he was worried that he was going to get this guy unconscious, was going to give
1: you a spectacle for anyone who was a fan of wrestling. Yeah, the rest of the match unfolds with this series of moves that unless you're a proper wrestling aficionado, they might not mean very much to you, certainly didn't to me. But there's a grapevine lock, a hip lock, a hammer lock and a half Nelson. And guess who's always on the receiving end of them (laughs) is Wanup. And by the third round, Wannup comes out bleeding from both his ear and his knee. And then that third round was over very quickly. It only lasted 58 seconds. Uh, and Lewis ultimately used a grapevine and then a shoulder lock to lift up off the floor and then slam him down on the mat, ending the match. So it had a fairly conclusive finale. And
2: this was taking place at the Battery D Armory in Chicago, which, as the name implies, had kind of started out as a military facility, but at this point was being used for things like you know like dog shows and stuff and there were between 2000 and 4000 people in attendance almost all of them men and a large complement of policemen as well to ensure not only that the you know that the crowd remained under control but also to ensure that Lewis complied with the mayor's ban on him using his signature stranglehold One of the men in the crowd, interestingly, was Matsuda Sorokichi, the Japanese wrestler that you were talking about earlier, Ollie. Despite the fact that Lewis had supposedly bent his leg and broken it, he had arrived to challenge the winner to a fight the following week which did happen and Sorokichi was defeated once again he was defeated quite a lot actually but he, he toured around America because Western wrestling wasn't really a big thing in Japan yet and his very existence was a novelty to American crowds mm. despite the fact that it seemed like he got beaten up pretty badly quite a lot you know he carried on touring around the US for several years before he went home some of the people that came to see him had probably just never seen a Japanese person that's probably what they wanted to see mm.
1: well oneup also stuck around for a while and he then became primarily a boxer, but really... <sighs> it was kind of a moment of shame because this had taken months to prepare this match between the the best of the US and the best of Britain. And it was meant to be WANUP's big break. And actually it was over in minutes. Uh, The Galena Gazette ran a a piece titled The Big Fellow's Heart Was Broken. And almost immediately rumours began, possibly even started by Harry Hoare, who was WANUP's sponsor, who returned home to England very quickly after the match and started talking about the possibility of a fix or a scandal. And when finally Wannup got back in June, he started to claim that he had deliberately lost the match because he was too afraid to win. And specifically, he was scared of the Chicago mob who he thought might get onto him if he, uh, if he came out victorious.
0: Which I think sounds like a perfectly legitimate fear in 1888, yeah. don't you? <laughs> totally. I mean, we know that $20,000 changed hands in bets during this match, and the winner and his team took 75% of ticket receipts. Mm. I mean, I would not be at all surprised if Lewis was the type of guy that had friends in certain circles in Chicago. Mm. And if you were a guy from New Cross, and then you turn up in Chicago and a load of gangsters with guns turn up and tell you to lose... You're going to lose,
1: aren't
2: you? (laughs) (laughs) He did manage to keep going for a long time, though. You know, when he returned back to England, he resumed his career as a boxer and he boxed for years. He uh, ran his own gyms as well. In
1: 1893, he actually uh, took to the Elephant and Castle Theatre stage with another friend and veteran boxer, Jem Mace, playing themselves in this apparently quite well-received fight scene in a play called The Days to Come. So he was there playing his former self as a guy who had only just recently retired as a sort of fighter.
2: This is when he was on the stage getting the idea for WWE, thinking, oh, this whole thing would have been much easier if I could have been pretending that Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Tomorrow. It was aimed at me, you know, when I was six years old. I sat on Brian Blessed's knee in the interval and all that.
1: Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors.
2: Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.